Hi, Lucian. Thanks for being with me. Hey, well, it's good to be here. All from, from the Netherlands and you being in the United States, uh, crossing boundaries, crossing borders is yes. easy in the digital world, isn't it? Yes, that is the blessing in disguise of this current moment. So I, I'm happy to be with you. Thank you very much. I wanted to lead in with a quote from a, a Dutch TV special, and you actually cited this quote in one of your blog posts. I think it was your last post of 2020. And it's a simple quote, but I think it has a lot of power related to healthcare and how we can go about living life. The quote is as follows. Be nice to each other because tomorrow is not a promise. And this was a quote by someone who was interviewed by this special who was close to their death. And it was just a really poignant summary of his life. Why is that quote special to you? Well, I think there's multiple reasons for that. Uh, first of all, I think it's uh, it, it was the moment in time. It was during all kinds of polarization about COVID and vaccination and all kinds of also political stuff happening in the US and in other places in the world. And, you know, also on social media, you see how things got totally polarized and, and no sane and normalized debate was possible anymore. Then came this award-winning documentary where the creator of that indeed said, I've interviewed so many people in face of their own death. Just think about this. Tomorrow is not a promise. So think about the things you can do today that you would have loved to do if there wouldn't be a tomorrow for that. And and ha having lost my parents also pretty early, uh, I always thought my time over here is limited. I think all our time is limited, so let's use it in the proper way and in a good way. Did that quote and you losing your parents at a young age, did that influence your passion for healthcare? I think it certainly did, although it was maybe not too young that I started to realize that. We had a family business. We were in automotive and we had funeral services and ambulance services, so EMS services. Uh, and I actually applied for a nursing education, but... My dad thought differently. He said, uh-uh, your nephew, who was the other one in the company, uh, turned out into an automotive university, and that's where you'll go. So mm -hmm. he kind of pushed away that that ability. I think there's a saying, at least in Dutch, hopefully it translates okay in, in, in English, blood always travels where it cannot go. So my mission, after all, ended up in healthcare. Not being a physician, not being a nurse, but uh, trying to do my own two cents. And that is the thing that I do right now, trying to connect people, trying to connect developments, innovations, to see also how we could improve health and healthcare from a different perspective. So that's my way to do what others do from a nursing perspective or from a physician perspective or others. That's wonderful. Were you actually an EMT or what was your relationship to the EMT part of your business? It does not translate one-on-one -on -one from the U.S. into uh, into the Netherlands situation. So, so that would be an ambulance driver with specialized skills that will be trained for us. So it's not the official EMT okay. certificate as we have in the U.S., but it's pretty similar. So you I were think. an ambulance driver? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's where I wanted to go into because I'm curious if there was a specific moment during your time as an ambulance driver and your time in that industry, where you realized you wanted to not just treat patients, but actually help advance the healthcare industry as a whole? 
I don't think, well, there's one particular instance. I think it's the culmination of all of those. Like I said, we also had funeral services within our company as well. So in both situations, you would run into people in the most vulnerable moments of their lives, where people are totally dependent. If on the other end, you're a bit of a, I'm not saying I'm a technology geek, but I love technology. So you can see what technology can play for a role in opening that as part of the solution. That's where those two things came together in the end of the day. So after a career in in ambulance services, creating multiple uh, ambulance services, dispatch centers and things like that, I turned to my control board and, and I quit my job. I said, what I can do is finished for me, at least. Now you need somebody to take this on in a more steady kind of way. And that's where I ended up at Radboud University Medical Center, not only in their acute healthcare setting responsible for the trauma helicopter and, and things like that, but also as an advisory to the executive board where we've created this innovation center, the Reship Center, which was actually at the convergence of technology and patient empowerment. And that to me was the best sweet spot for me to show up. I, I think that, is a great point for our listeners to latch on to the idea that you can go into healthcare without an explicitly scientific or technical background. So I wanted to jump ahead to a later question I had about how can people get involved? And I want to ask specifically, since you made this point about how can technologically minded people who maybe want to be an entrepreneur and who know they have this innovative mindset, but who don't necessarily know how to connect it to healthcare. What advice do you give those people who care deeply about healthcare, but don't quite have those two areas of their life connected yet? I would say, first of all, start listening, because that's one of the things that has not been done enough in healthcare, I think. People hear what people, what patients say, but really start listening to them. And that's also one of the things that we've done in our reship center where we've appointed the very first chief listening officer to start really listening in what patients need, how they want to perceive it, listening to patients, involving them right from the get-go as opposed to only listen to physicians or only listen to nurses or only listen to administrative people in healthcare. I think really trying to solve the needs of patients, family and informal care is the right place. I think everyone could have a role in health and healthcare. We're now on the brink of not only boosting digital technology more than ever, but also involving other branches of our society. Like one of the projects that's been done in the Netherlands, where banks and healthcare insurance companies started to collaborate. For people with a high financial depth, we know that they will have a higher healthcare consumption as others. So what they've done is they spread the financial depth longer That would turn into a higher interest, and that would be taken by the healthcare insurance company. So everyone, in my opinion, could have, if you want to, a role in this, certainly in the transition between healthcare to health, where we are actually in the midst of, I think. Yeah. When I I think about listening, I think about everyday conversations. And I, I think a lot of people can get an idea of how they can help transform healthcare through very, not basic, but very common everyday conversations with their friends or their family. What kinds of questions should people hmm. ask to, to understand the problems in our healthcare? Because certainly there are some people who can take, you know, massive surveys of patient data and they have the resources to make these very 
salient conclusions, but there are other people who might be listening to this and think that that is not my area of expertise. The only thing I know is how to talk to my family. So what should those conversations look like with revolutionizing healthcare as the end goal? Starting first, not only at, at medical professionals, but also for entrepreneurs. I think the most interesting question is not what's the matter with you, but to shuffle those words around. What matters to you? Because that, in the end of the day, is what really changes the equation and also the debate. It's this movement running around now globally in classes for physicians and nurses. This question is getting more and more focus because it totally changes the discussion and also totally changes the outcome of it because some people might say who suffer from cancer that say the only thing that matters to me i want to see my daughter and i want to give her away for her wedding that's something totally different than asking what is the matter and then trying to fix that from a right. medical perspective so i i often think it's those easy steps they're hard but they're not complex also from the scientific approach, we often tend to think too difficult and too too way deep into it, tucked away into those specialized kind of things. And we forget to see the whole picture. I think understanding issues like healthcare, the first step to doing that, I guess this goes without saying, but it is listening and being very conscious about not just what the problems are, but how you can redefine the problem. And I think that's a great insight. I, I also think you know, people who want to go into digital healthcare, for example, they want to know what's being done currently. They want to know what innovations are currently on the cusp or which are around the corner, perhaps. But something I have found is that there's an astonishing amount of medical breakthroughs that people don't know about. And I think Singularity University hits this on the head where it tries to educate people on this long list of things that are happening that are really exciting and that could happen faster if people knew about them and acted on them. But I see this information problem where you don't know where to find out about this stuff. Where should listeners go to actually learn about not just the, the problems, but all that is possible in terms of the solutions? Well, you're touching on a very important point, I think. Education is very needed. But there's also always this information gap. Let's take Singularity University. That's where we talk about technology that's like 20, 25 years out before it really will hit your breakfast table as a mainstream development. That's not to say that some of the technology that's been presented over there is being used today, tomorrow, day after tomorrow. It's been done. But I'm talking about mainstream. Then we got the medical community and the scientific community that's trying to validate those new technologies that somebody has invented and still needs the validation. That's like within the next five, maybe 10 years, something like that, out once that other part has been done. And then we'll get into the mainstream practices where things started to use. So let's take digital health for an example. I think probably like 10 years ago, I almost was dragged off stage in one of my keynotes somewhere on the world where, where I was bragging about video consultations and to a group of 500 physicians, they would say, no, 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 that's not going <laughs> to happen. Patients want to talk to me. They want to sit at my table. So it yeah. took a pandemic, Will, to be honest, to, to give that a boost. And in one yeah. of the national newspapers, I, I said, we've been pregnant for digital health 
for years. And now during this pandemic, it came to life with a C-section. It has gotten a huge boost. I'm not saying that this is over the tipping point yet. Some people think about linear developments and particularly within Azure, they think about exponential developments. Digital health, for instance, been in this area now for 15 to 20 years. I like to think of plateaus. Every once in a while, there's a new plateau and we need to adapt to it and need to get used to it. Legislation, reimbursement systems, and then we'll get into the next one. So that's so I, now I like to believe actually that we've now gotten to a new plateau where you now also see that some healthcare systems try to roll back the use of digital technology that mm-hmm. they had to use because people could not attend to the location. And now patients would stand up like the genie's out of the bottle. So why should I come to you? Where last week I was able to do so I didn't have to take a day off and stuff like that. So my point here is that we now see a development that is going to turn into a vast part of regular health. We need to normalize this. Digital health is just as much part of regular health as taking your blood is, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And the technology is out there. Some of that needs to be validated. I think the genie is out of the bottle, like I said, and we will see many more on that. And the main part of this change that I also use in my keynotes is that it's about these. The first one, we will see a strong delocalization of the place where healthcare has been delivered. The second one is that many of the things we do in healthcare is going to become democratized because the patient, family, and formal care have more data on their smartphone than all of us in healthcare have in our systems, where we grant them a peek into the little thing that we have, and they will now start granting us a subscription to their data. I really think that this change now is happening. Uh, We're in the midst of it. There's a lot of work needs to be done still, of course, but it's inevitable. I think. And we also need to change the curriculum, of course, for people who we will train for it and and really take that approach into it. Thank you for that. I think understanding the progress that is on the horizon is so important to having the inspiration to actually act and to join the cause to go into healthcare innovation. Because if you believe that there are really promising things around the corner that you can help build, then I think actually joining in becomes much more second nature to people. Absolutely. And I don't think that digital health is the solution. It's part of the solution. Right. We are facing a doubling on healthcare demand. We already have a huge shortage of skilled personnel and patients start to become empowered. Mm-hmm. So why not try to take the low complexity aspects of healthcare and try to shift those into different locations, mm-hmm. bringing that to patients, family, and informal care? Some people in the early days thought that jumping on a weighing scale was healthcare delivery. (laughs) A lot of people said, that's nuts. But the moment when I bought one of the very first digital scales, connected it to Twitter, and the moment when I would jump on that, well, it would send out a tweet. (laughs) And you can imagine what happened. Yeah. And people would say... Hmm. Eat a I would light take lunch. a light lunch. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> then people started to say, but this is healthcare. So wait a minute. The same is true in terms of blood pressure measurement. The same is true of running an EKG with your smartwatch or taking your oxygenation yeah. level, things like that. So I think there will be a shift into it. And there's tons of stuff needed to be done, shifted around, craftsmanship, engineering, process design, service design, everything that's needed. So 
almost everyone you're dearly needed in this arena to make sure that healthcare becomes accessible to all, stays mm -hmm. sustainable for all, and also is being crafted around a different kind of experience. I would argue healthcare is maybe the last branch where the experience of the ones we target, the patient, is not taking into account as much as mm -hmm. in other sectors, like in retail right. or hotels or everything else. Yeah, the concept of user-centered design is That's it. absent from healthcare, you could yeah, argue. I, mm -hmm. I think the user interface in healthcare is broken. Yeah, I, I want to drill into how that can be solved. And I want to reference some of the work you've done. You've worn many hats over your time. To me, there are several different sectors or paths that people can take to help healthcare innovation. You could go into academic work and become a professor who develops these breakthroughs or you teach about them. And you've done that at, at Radboud University or at Singularity University. There's also the path of potentially being a consultant or actually advising organizations who do this work. And you've done that as an edge fellow with Deloitte. Or of course, you can be an entrepreneur and, and strike out on your own and try to build these technologies in a startup context. And that's similar to what you did as a business owner for a long time. Do you view one of those paths as being more promising or more impactful for listeners who want to solve these healthcare challenges? Well, that's a tough question. I think that everything that I've been able and granted to do up until now, for me personally, fitted totally in the face of my life at that very moment. Mm -hmm. And that changed over time. I wouldn't want to go back into acute healthcare anymore. Still, it's very near to my heart, but I now see the bigger picture within Radboud University Medical Center, I was able to influence a couple of physicians and nurses and the board and their patients. When I quit my job after 12 and a half years, because I thought that change no longer predominantly is coming out of healthcare itself, but more is being influenced from outside in, I've also seen that the way that I could have impact changed. In the end of the day, the total number at the right hand of the equation is more, but it's different. It's like influencing 10 physicians and their 300 patients or 300 companies and their 10 million customers. Right. The number at the right hand side is changing. And I'm not saying that you always should go for the biggest impact because having an impact on one patient that really makes a difference could be the most rewarding thing that you could have. And if I could be able to do that tomorrow, Trust me, Will, I will do so as well. And we also are doing <laughs> this during this pandemic. But having a lasting impact, and this is not about making a statement or something like that. This is what I like to do and the way that I like to do it, at least at present. Is that for eternity? No. Being at Deloitte, I'm not employed by Deloitte. I'm advising Deloitte. We mm -hmm. don't have any commercial role. Influencing all those consultants and people within Deloitte with also their global roles is broadening my impact. Yeah. Again, will that be forever? Probably not. But I'm also helping one of the university medical centers with their innovation ambition in Rotterdam, by the way. So that also helps me. So let's see what happens. And I also think <clears throat> at one given time, some developments are known. People know that this is happening and we need the time on that plateau to get that up and running. And that's typically where I take my code and think, so what's next? 
What's the next stage that we can influence and have others fill in the blanks? I'm not somebody that runs projects. That's not my core that I'm good at. So you need to know where your energy is. You need to know where your flaws and where the, the things are that you're good at and utilize them for the good. I really like that answer because I think it helps listeners who aren't totally familiar with the science of healthcare innovation. It helps them sort of have hope that they can still contribute in very big ways because you came from a not an entirely scientific background. You were in business and then and you've gotten to this point in your life where you have an outsized impact on the conversation around healthcare innovation. So and the point you made about change coming from the outside in, I think is really important for for listeners to understand. To help us also coming from outside in. Yes, that's exactly it. I, I wanted to close with a couple broad questions. As you know, Boulder is about empowering people to change the world in whatever way they want to. And for our purposes, we've talked a lot about healthcare. But what do you tell people who want to change the world in a very general way or however they want to in their individual lives, but don't know how? I think everyone already has the answer, but they don't listen to it. You need to listen to yourself. If you have the ambition to change something in healthcare, let's take that as, as an example, you know that that is the case. And you're thinking in barriers and blockades and stuff like that. Certainly in this information day and age where you could almost reach everyone with one push button to LinkedIn or on Facebook or whatever. It's like they say, it's everybody's like three handshakes away from everyone in the world. <laughs> Start working on that. Start listening also on a local level on those who deliver healthcare and try to help and change from that perspective. Because if you start to change the way that we deliver healthcare and health, because we need to come in front of the problem as opposed to just fixing it at, at, at the back end, that could also be done on a local level. Experience what it is. I sometimes also ask, why do a lot of physicians that run into whatever kind of disease themselves end up writing a book about it? They write a book about all the experiences that they have and how it's changed the way that they act as a physician or as a nurse. So why wouldn't you, not being a nurse, not being a physician, not do the same? I'm not saying that you should write a book, but more like trying to figure out all the experience that you have or that you have run into personally because you had a condition yourself or somebody in your family or friends and, and start working with that. It's often as soon, as simple and small as that. I think that's a wonderful answer. And I'm sure our listeners will sort of latch on to those insights. Last question. It is uh -oh. a very, it's a very broad one, <laughs> but I'm sure you have a good answer. What are we capable of achieving with human health? I hope that we will be able to even more as we've done in history to achieve a better quality of your lifetime until the end. Comes a moment in time in your life, it has to do with your age, but also things like conditions and stuff like that, where you would run into one, two, or maybe even multiple chronic conditions. Some of which we cannot treat yet. Some of which we couldn't treat 20 years ago, but we're able to treat right now. So my hope is that in the end of the day, that the medical possibilities at one end, 
but also the change of our lifestyle. Harnessing our health, I should say. Those two combined will bring a better quality of life and a shorter period of being sick or ill or suffering from whatever condition. Uh, and with that also increasing the lifespan. And we could talk about for ages what that could mean yes. in terms of all <laughs> kinds of problems, and but also opportunities, let's be honest as well. But to me, that would be the goal that everybody is able to achieve the goals that he or she would have. Well, I want to close with the quote I offered at the beginning, because I think our listeners should hear it once more. Be nice to each other, because tomorrow is not a promise. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Lucian Engelin. Lucian, thank you so much for an inspiring conversation. Well, thank you very much, not only for inviting me, but also for putting up this podcast. Stay safe, my friend. Thank you. You do the same.